You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Michael Richman. He is a board-certified cardiothoracic surgeon and fellow in the American College of Surgeons and in the American College of Chess Physicians. Dr. Richman is also the cholesterol expert on WebMD and on the editorial board of the Journal of Lipidology. Dr. Richman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you're the first cardiothoracic surgeon I've ever talked to who is interested in lipids. The truth is, is while I was you know, doing hearts and I was chairman of a program, I really didn't even know anything about it. You know, they they certainly don't teach you it in cardiothoracic surgery. So obviously you believe that we're doing something of value when we are treating their lipids in addition to um, bypassing them. My own personal opinion, having done, you know, well over a thousand bypasses is that the key is number one is prevention, but then it's secondary prevention after you've had, you know, an angioplasty or a bypass. And I can tell you, and this is honest to God, in three years of doing advanced testing, I have yet to have a patient in the hospital with a heart attack or a stroke. Now, I know from other people in the field, I'm extremely aggressive in treatment, but I believe in it 100% in doing advanced cholesterol testing. When you say advanced cholesterol testing, which one specifically do you use? There's NMR, there's Berkeley, there's VAP, and maybe others I don't know of. Well, I mean, first I want to make it clear that I have no financial relationship with any of the companies whatsoever, and I try and guide what I do based on the evidence. I believe in LDL particle testing and, you know, we can get into why, but the big thing that I think everybody needs to know is why even do advanced cholesterol testing? Because I know, at least in the Los Angeles community, every single day I'm bombarded by physicians who have never even heard of it, and then they say, well, why even get it? Because if I don't know about it, then it must not be big. So what's your 11-second elevator speech? What do you tell these guys? I basically tell people that... Yes, traditionally, we all have learned that total cholesterol or LDL cholesterol is the bad actor, and there is abundance of evidence that that's what causes atherosclerotic disease. But now it is widely accepted that the interaction of lipoprotein particles with the arterial wall is what causes coronary heart disease. So basically, in a nutshell, as I tell people, is do you remember passive diffusion from biology? And I say, you know, basically things flow from greatest to least. And that's just a principle. And if you have the arterial intima has pores in it, holes, stuff flows from greatest to least. So think of cars on a freeway. I say, is it the number of cars that cause a traffic jam or the number of people in cars? Traditional testing measures the number of people in cars. Particle testing measures the number of cars. So it's the number of cars that is important, not the people in cars. And that's and as soon as you sit down and you start explaining that, they figure it out. And then I say, let's say your LDL cholesterol is 100. How do I know you don't have two big buses with 50 or 100 cars with one? It's still 100, your LDL cholesterol. And nobody's going to say that you need treatment there, but one person is going to get atherosclerotic disease and the other person is not. So therein lies the rub, that a, a basic lipid panel and an LDL of 100 is not really giving you the full story. No. The CDC, when they say that 50% of people who have heart attacks or die of heart attacks have normal cholesterol, to me that's telling. 
you know, why is that? Why is, despite doing, you know, over 125 million conventional lipid panels a year, why is heart disease still number one? Well, we're missing something, and we're missing a lot. We're, you know, identifying a group of people, but I tell you that I think we're missing probably 40% of the population who really do have abnormal lipids, but their traditional profile is giving it as normal. I'm curious, because you're in a unique situation where you actually bypass these people and manage their lipids, can you think of a case or a few cases where your patient had severe coronary artery disease and they had a normal LDL and perhaps a high HDL? I have a huge Asian population, African-American population, Hispanic, so essentially the same population that was in the MESA study. And I have one patient who's actually become a friend and everything was entirely normal. And about five years ago, he completely occluded his LAD. Now, fortunately, he had collaterals and didn't have an MI and didn't even know he, he did it. But his total cholesterol was 180. His LDL cholesterol was in the 90s. When I did particle testing, yeah, it was extremely high. He was blown away. And I would tell you that nine out of 10 of my patients have normal panels and abnormal advanced testing. One out of 10, and it seems to me I've had one male, you know, this is just the feeling that I got. It's the postmenopausal woman who comes in and has a horrible traditional lipid panel and has normal particles, just a lot of big particles. And, you know, that's great. You save that person a lifetime of medicine, but they're not going to get disease anyway. So, you know, the most important thing is to identify the people who are really at risk but have normal lipid panels. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Michael Richmond. Dr. Richmond is a cardiothoracic surgeon and also the cholesterol expert on WebMD and on the editorial board of the Journal of Lipidology. We're talking about advanced lipid testing. Dr. Richmond, you said that a lot of your patients, or many of them, had normal lipid panels, yet had severe atherosclerotic disease. So I beg to ask the question again, how could it just be LDL as causing the atherosclerosis? Is there not an initiating inflammatory event or insult, which then allows the LDL to get in more easily? I mean, probably there is, except all particles, except the largest chylomicrons that are less than 70 nanometers can get in through the wall. And like I said, it's, it's just a diffusion gradient. So if you have, you know, particles of the right size, and a lot of them, they're going to get through the wall done in a diffusion gradient. You know, yes, the, the concept of chronic inflammation comes up, and, you know, people who have high triglycerides, that's a recognized risk factor now. And certainly if you have a lot of VLDL, it probably damages the intima. But, you know, I mean, I don't think we know exactly all these emerging risk factors. I mean, we know they exist, but I don't really know how important they are. There are some tribes in Africa who live on milk and blood and have super high cholesterol, and so they got to have a ton of particles, but yet they don't develop atherosclerosis. So it cannot just be this diffusion. There's something maladaptive occurring once those LDL particles are getting across and then for some reason cannot be taken care of appropriately. I would agree with you, but, you know, right now there is no good evidence, just like there is no good evidence. I don't personally believe that raising HDL 
is an important thing, as does NSEP. You know, that, that's a tertiary optional goal. I, you know, there is no test now to measure the functionality of HDL. You know, and I point to the, you know, the APOA1 Milano's from Limon, you know, Italy, that whole group who have HDLs of 5 and 10 who have no coronary artery disease. Are you seeing or have you seen in your patients that you've bypassed evidence for lipoprotein A, that that was really the problem? I don't do it that often because despite, yes, we know that niacin lowers it, there is no good evidence that lowering it does anything because I, I kind of view it as it goes hand in hand with LDL particles. So once again, it's an emerging risk factor. I don't know how important it is because just like an elevated homocysteine, yes, it's a risk factor, but I think it's clear now that using folate to lower it does nothing to change the risk. So, you know, I'm not sure about it. The, The biggest thing that I always have to convey to people is that, you know, it's the soft plaques you have to worry about and those aren't appreciated on angiogram. And when you go in to do heart surgery, you know, a lot of people, yeah, they may have calcified plaques, and that's what shows up, but a lot of people have diffuse buttery disease, and, you know, that's what causes the heart attacks. Those are the plaques that fracture. And, you know, I don't know if it's an inflammation. It, it probably is a component of it. But I still personally believe that, you know, LDL particles are the culprit, and I think that with the American Diabetic Association and ACC's consensus paper a few weeks ago coming out and supporting that, you know, I think that's long overdue. When you're following your patients, will you ever get a regular lipid panel once they're stable and you've assessed that their particle numbers are down to where you want them to be, or are you continually monitoring them with an NMR? I use an NMR always to monitor them. To me, it's been a great tool, but when you do the NMR, you know, which which is covered by Medicare and most insurances, you get regular traditional lipid, lipid testing at the same time. It just it comes with the test. So I look back and forth. I have a very close friend who's an ER doc, and he's 45, and he has insulin-dependent diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol. And in order to get his particle number acceptable, his corresponding LDL cholesterol is 31, and he was just denied life insurance because they said it was too low. But that's if I hadn't used particle testing and I just said that LDL was my goal, LDL cholesterol, if I would have shot and said he was high risk and followed NSEP guidelines for being very high risk and tried to get an LDL cholesterol of 70, my particle still would have been high. So I think it's a phenomenal tool, number one, to find them, but then use it as a guide of treatment. When you get your patients maximized out on a statin and they still have excess particle numbers, what is your second line of treatment? Usually I start them on a starting dose of statin, and I do have a favorite statin that I use. Would that be rosuvastatin? Crestor, yes. And I hear that I'm the largest user in the Southern California area, but once again, I have absolutely no relationship with AstraZeneca. It's just, to me, it's the strongest statin, and there's obviously great data. It's the strongest statin at the lowest dose. Before doubling the dose, I add Zetia. If that doesn't work, and I just had a lady who came in to me right now for follow-up. She, Her brother died at 45. Her father just passed away. She has horrible familial hypercholesterolemia with 
an LDL cholesterol of 414, and her particle number was up in the high 3,000 range. And I almost have her close to where I want to be on 40 of Crestor and 10 of Zetia, so I just added Wellcall. And, you know, that's the rare patient that needs three drugs. So do you ever use Vibrates? I do, a ton. I use a ton of Tricor, and I use that on patients who have hypertriglyceridemia, which I define as greater than or equal to 150. Now, that doesn't mean at 150 I'm going to definitely use a fibrate. You know, I I usually put them on high-dose omega-3s. Well, Dr. Michael Richmond, thank you very much for talking with us today. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.